welcome back, ghosts and ghouls, to March Madmen. This is part two of the episode we're calling Demolition of Apparitions. It's paranormal activity going tooth and nail against the Amityville horror. Which haunted house flick will prevail? Listen and find out. That brings us to our number 15 seed. Right in the smack dab middle of the tournament, we have Oren Pelly's Paranormal Activity. And I don't know how much you need me to talk about this movie, but it was a big festival hit. It was made for about $6,000. And uh, much like the Blair Witch Project, this was a found footage movie that took the world by storm and has spawned sequels. And it's a haunted house movie. (laughs) We don't have to get into the plot summary too much, other than the fact that we have a young couple living in a house in San Diego and the woman, the the girl feels that she's been tracked by not a ghost, but a demon, which we all know if you've been listening to our show for a while. Ghosts are no problem, but if it's a demon, uh-oh. And there's, you know, there's a Ouija board and there's an expert and efforts are made to bail them out of this situation. But we have a very powerful evil here, even if you see almost none of it for 95% of the film. So this is a landmark film. It gets points for that. Uh, It definitely put found footage on the map in a way that even Blair Witch, for whatever reason, didn't. I'm going to give it an overall quality grade of B. Uh, I think it's reasonably well executed in every phase. I don't have too much else to say about it on that level. Uh, Vic, what's your grade for overall quality on paranormal activity? You know, I waffled on this. I started off with a B. I, I thought about it. I sort of kicked it around. I mean, it's it's almost paranormal activity is almost hard to separate from its cultural significance. And John, I would I would argue that yes, on the one hand, it kicked off the the renaissance of found footage, because I do think it's, you had two sort of competing uh, eras of it, starting first with Blair Witch. And there were a few sort of imitators of Blair Witch. The last, I think it's called the last, the exorcism. last video, the last, no, 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 that was after the last exorcism was after paranormal activity. There was mm. there after Blair Witch, there was, there was one called my little eye, which I, I think comes up in, in one of our director's filmographies. I'll have to look at that. But it's you know so the the found footage thing was a big deal and it's it's sort of, but it's sort of still going on but it's definitely petered out it's something that I think people are generally sort of tired of as someone who wrote a found footage film I can tell you that yes like there's a lot of people who just roll their eyes when you tell them it's a found footage film it's still going on so it's not that aspect of its impact is not nothing. Far bigger in terms of its impact, I think, is the fact that this is the movie that launched Blumhouse. Mm -hmm. And this was Jason Blum really worked off of this model of super low budget movies with high concepts. And that's if you've been a screenwriter in genre films, your head wants to explode when somebody says we're looking for a low budget, high concept take on fill in the blank. And I really think that stems all 
almost all of that can be traced back to paranormal activity. Its cultural impact is really significant in terms of the genre. Its overall quality, I really think, is a C. Yeah. I can't argue with you, dude. Go ahead yeah. and like, explain a little bit just for the sake of <laughs> the record. No, I think that I think I sort of uncovered. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're you know like why is this a like a, a, as a film? Why is this a C? You know, that's the question. under so under subsequent viewings, I feel like the scares are less effective. This is one of those movies where the first viewing is the one that matters the most. Yeah, and the subsequent viewings it sort of falls off. But if you're if you feel that way about say the others, you still have Alejandro Amenabar you know, directing in a, in a very artful sort of Weinstein way, you still have Mm -hmm. Nicole Kidman giving, you know, and, and, and a a host of, of incredible British actors and Irish actors giving these incredible performances here. Once you've sort of seen it and you understand what it is and and then you're, you're sort of left with Katie Featherstone and (laughs) that, that guy uh, and a lot of, and, and again, there's, look, there's, there's lots of stuff, I don't want to take too much away from it because I think there is some stuff in here that's very clever. There's a reason it made all this money. And that first viewing that I had really was powerful. But in terms of standing the test of time, in terms of where it ranks on the the list of, of great haunted house films, never mind great horror films, I think it really suffers in, in retrospect. I'm glad that you took a stand there, Vic, because I'm inclined to agree with you, but you even went farther than I did. So, Rich, what's your grade for overall quality? I'll keep this brief. I I think both of you guys have really good points. I gave this movie a B, and I'd say my stance on it is, while I see your point, Vic, I'd say that this movie is a pencil sketch almost of a movie that we will come to know very well in the years after its release. And, you know, as the house analogy goes, I do think that this film has good bones, but it is definitely not the full picture. And I think that we, you know, with, with mixed reactions, like had a positive reaction to paranormal activity three, which does not, in any way reinvent this it just does it much better and yep. make for a pretty enjoyable film so to me that says that there's a good infrastructure at play here even if i agree the execution here is weaker significantly yeah i think we slated paranormal activity as a uh, three rather as a as a lower seed than this film just out of uh, institutional respect for this movie uh, laying out the blueprint, but I think we would all agree and correct me if I'm wrong, that movie definitely does it better quote unquote than this film. Does anyone disagree with that? No. Yeah. Okay. So uh, originality, Rich, what's your grade for that? I think this could be debated, but I am essentially judging this on what I think was, you could call relevant at the time of its release. I gave it a B plus. I thought that it still had some of that that quaint. Um, you know, I'm reminded of the thanking the families by text yeah. at the very yeah. top of the movie as like a, and the fact that they have no credits at the end of it. It, it sure that was done in Blair Witch as well. 
or at least something similar was done in Blair Witch. Yeah. But it did really like it was a prescient in its style. And that to me is always the you know the the germ of originality. Yeah, that's a good point. Vic, what's your grade for this category? I gave it a B minus. It, it is one of those movies that's just hard to separate what it was when it came out from all the things that came afterward. Even the, I mean, the the found footage element feels like the freshest element of it until you realize that it just wasn't that fresh. But they do do a lot of interesting things with it, and they do wring some scares out of it. And even the the notion of it being a demon that is attached to the Katie Featherstone character and so leaving the house doesn't work. I mean, that's something that at the time did, at least to me, without a, a ton of research, feel like a fresh way of answering that question of why don't they just leave the house, which is going to come up in our in our next entry. So it gets some credit for a lot of that stuff, but it's, it mostly feels like a lot of, a lot of rehashing uh, existing things that were, that were sort of floating around in the ether, putting them together, sometimes in fresh ways, sometimes less so. Yeah. I don't think anything we actually see on screen could be defined as original. There's nothing in terms of uh, style or conception of haunting that feels really innovative in any way. But, yeah, I think the idea of just boiling it down to this incredibly what, – what is the, the value of reality TV? What is the, re, the value of found footage? It's simply that this, this – the audience can believe that this footage could be just uh, organically harvested from people's real lives. And I think this movie plays that card very effectively and that amps up minimal scares to a, a a level that it would never achieve if it was a trip you know a traditional scripted narrative film with all the bells and whistles of score and things that clue you into it being a hollywood production so even though yeah this is long after blair witch project this was the movie that actually convinced the world that this would work. <laughs> you know, nobody somehow after in 1999, Blair Witch Project made a shit ton of money, but nobody quite cracked like, uh, oh yeah, we need to be doing movies like this. And this is the one that did it. So I, I have to give it credit for that, even though, yeah, if you boil it down, the Ouija board and the, you know, this and that and the phenomena itself, people being pulled out of beds and whatnot, you guys can attest nothing original about any of that phenomena. No, um, but I I think even beyond the found footage element, there are some innovations in this storytelling-wise that we still see. I, I know that it was mentioned in an earlier episode of this podcast, but the whole bit where you're looking at time-coded video and someone gets up out of a bed and stands and watches someone else sleep as we fast-forward our way through the footage. Yeah. Using that as a technique to 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 make the make a seemingly you know banal activity suddenly seem very terrifying was effective and not something I think I saw before this. That's a very good point, and that is yeah to segue into chill factor. That is one of the scariest things in the in this movie. So 
yeah, I, I, I confidently give it a B. I do want to point out, like, in terms of the demon ghost thing, I feel like this is one of the most interesting debates of the entire series, or, or season, uh, rather. And I think, you know, I've, I've touched on this. But I think that somewhere along the line, people making horror movies realize that ghosts just aren't that scary. You know, like a ghost is somebody trapped in a loop and it's like burnt toast. It's pictures in a book and they, they're like vaguely conscious, if at all. And then somebody was like, well, you know, we need we need to up the ante there. And a demon is something that is genuinely malevolent and it can behave like a ghost. It can do all the shit that we want ghosts to do. But it's way more motivated because its entire thing is causing pain. And and it's it's a cruel, malevolent force. And it's not just like, well, I had this specific bone to pick or I died this way and I don't like it and all that. Like I think that elevates the whole genre in terms of what we expect from horror. And so the fact that this is a, a demon movie... I do give credit for that. Vic, what's your chill factor grade? Chill factor, I actually give it a B plus. I mean, I, because that's what, what Rich was saying. That scene of her standing up and and sort of sitting next to the bed and that fast forward through two hours of it. The one, the, the antecedent to that for me was The Ring, which was actually about five years before this. When you learn that Sara doesn't sleep and they show Naomi Watts characters watching closed circuit TV footage of her and just showing clocks spinning as she gets up and sits down and gets up and sits down. And she stares at the camera for a little bit and that sort of thing. Whoa, and I Vic, felt like that Vic. was the... Well, I mean, I'm really glad you pulled that out because you just blew up a huge point in the favor of this movie. I didn't even remember that. So bravo. Why, thank you. That's what I'm here for, gentlemen. You're welcome. John, over to you. No, <laughs> no seriously? That's all you have to say? <laughs> okay. Uh, chill factor. I mean, I, what I would say is chill factor. That was, that was the moment that really did come home with me the first time I watched this. Yeah. Uh, and I think I've mentioned this before, that I started to get into, the, into bed with my then-girlfriend who did not want to go see a horror movie at midnight – and really legitimately stood there and paused and was like, does she get up in the middle of the night and fucking stare at me for two hours? So there's there's some legitimate chills here. And some of the other stuff, even the simplicity of it, still works. So, yeah, no, chill, there's a reason that this made so much money, and the chill factor is a big part of it. Okay. Uh, I'm not quite as charitable. I, I give it a B-. minus. I didn't find it that scary the first time. Obviously, I found it less scary the second time. Yeah, B and minus isn't really a damning grade, but beyond exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about with the 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 shape of of your girlfriend, your significant other, whatever, looming over your bed, like not moving for long periods of time, that is that is a genius stroke. But you know, almost nothing happens in this fucking movie, so I, I have to give it a B minus, and I think that's generous. Rich, what's your grade? I gave it a B, and I found it a little dull. But I realized as I was watching it that part of finding it dull was watching it 
for me was watching it on a laptop. I can imagine it would actually be much the same watching it on television. And I thought this movie in particular, I feel really suffers being removed from the audience experience. Yeah. And that's kind of, that is sort of shading my grade almost in a, in a positive. Um, you know, I do remember as Vic point out, like, you know, we went to we go see it in the theater. I remember how tense the theater got every time like a new night began the effect where they, you know, where they, where they fade up night, you know, I forget how many nights there are in this movie. A shit ton. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, night four. And you could feel everyone go in the room. And, you know, I know that we've got a little like hot and bothered about whether or not the movies are supposed to be great on your personal reaction and, and no one else's. But this movie was really a reminder that cinema, especially now, once upon a time, was like a social experience and that the theatrical experience really can influence the way you feel about a movie. And this movie is a is really a shining example of that. I think watching it in the theater with a bunch of people is an experience that you can't recreate now. And so I feel lucky to have seen it at the time. Well, remember that the marketing for this film at the time included almost no footage from the film. It was almost exclusively footage of the audience and people shrieking and throwing their popcorn in the air and leaping into each other's laps and stuff. That that was exactly what you're talking about. The audience reaction was what sold it. And Rich, I remember that very same palpable sense in the in the movie theater. You're right. This is a movie that suffers outside of that environment. But I think if you're going to be the greatest horror film of all time, you're going to have to be scary in a variety of environments, not just in a movie theater. Thank you, Vic. Thank you. And I, I want to just remind everyone that the reason we're doing this on a personal level is that we are three passionate guys and we are not grading on a curve. It's not going to make any of us happy to be like, oh, well, we feel that other people would want this movie to win. No, we're doing this because our opinions matter and we're, we care about this. And the things that we're going to end up advancing and that are going to win are, are going to be movies that we really feel need to deserve attention that they either already get or they don't get. It's not about, well, you know, if, if I measure it by this, whatever criteria, other people like it. So I have to push it forward. That's not the purpose of this exercise. So I understand that this movie, and I take it into account that this movie, you know, was, I said it before, it's a landmark film, but what we're trying to do is push something objectively and subjectively forward that we think deserves more attention. So I just want to remind everyone of that. John, I just want to point out that I love it when you refer to us as three passionate guys. <laughs> not, not just about horror films, folks. We are just passionate I think in everything fair. we do. You're damn yeah. right we are. Let's move on to Badass Baddies. Um, yeah, Badass Baddies. Okay. Vic, what's your Badass Baddies grade? It's a B, John. It's a, it's a B. Okay, fair, fair. It's, I, 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 it's fine. It's a fine, again, the demon aspect of it works. The connecting it to Katie Featherstone and not to the house as a way of isolating them works. Some of what it does is really scary. Other things I found less scary. I'm, I'm saving that for a future category. It's fine. All right. Uh, Rich? 
I went C plus on this one. Me too. Um, this movie is primarily a bunch of off camera booms. Yeah, C plus for me. I can tell it's malevolent, but like if we were to do a scene by scene walkthrough of this film, the evil in this film is very immature and ridiculous, and takes a really long time to do a goddamn thing. So it's it never coheres as a cool antagonist. So C plus quality of kills. And this is another one where there's not a lot of killing going on, uh, which is, I guess, de rigueur for the genre. Uh, I give it a C, you know, largely on the strength of spoiler alert. Somebody dies at the very end of the film and I was happy to see it. So I'm giving it a C (laughs) rich. What's your grade for this? I'm just dug down the line with you. I gave a, a C on this one. I don't really feel like I have anything to add for kills, except I do. I do feel like every one of these movies, as we as I go through and do my categories, this is always the category that I have to stop. And I'm like, wait a minute, did anyone die in this movie? Like oh, yeah. every single. <laughs> I feel like guys, as we you know, God willing, uh, as we do a lot of uh, seasons of this and and deal with different subgenres, this is the only category where we're going to be like racking our brains for kills. <laughs> except, except for our point, assholes. Yeah. A lot of people die in our point. That a lot of true. people die in our point, and, violently. And and just, to, just to say, we didn't talk about it, but I like the ending of that movie. I think it is pretty badass. Um, Wait, are we talking about our point again? I just want to say. goddamn right we are. <laughs> it's already been eliminated from the tournament, but it does have a pretty yeah. cool um, act three. You okay. know, the kills in Paranormal Activity are a lot like Bibimop. You know, it's like fights. <laughs> you have like seasoned like meat cooked on open flame. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to directing. Uh, Vic, what's your directing grade for oh, this film? Shit, I, I love Bib and Bop. Um, actually, I do want to point out I I did also just give Quality of Kills a C, and I have nothing to add. Uh, directing, I mean, that's another one where it's like. How do you judge this movie? Like, Oren Pelly is not a titan of the genre. He put a camera on a tripod and then, like, <laughs> went and got a, a bon mi sandwich from a food truck and then came back. Like, <laughs> Dude, are we uh, – is there a lobby paying us to mention bon mi sandwiches? Like, what, do we get a kickback here? <laughs> it's, it's hard to get bibimbap from a, food, from a food truck. So it's not impossible, but it's hard to find. I I gave the directing a C. Like, he did this. This is his baby. This is his money. He changed the horror genre for the next 20 years and did nothing else. Like, he he did this, and then he did Area 51, which I've never actually seen. It was in post for three and a half years. And he did that show, The River. um, Yes. which, Which I liked okay. I think Katie Featherstone was in that, too. But yeah, it's I so there's nothing there's just nothing exceptional about it except that it exists. So I, I yeah, I I don't know, I give it a C. I, but I'm curious, what do you guys think? I went B minus on this. I feel like it was pretty awkward pacing. Some of the things we pointed out as like standing up for chill factor, I felt like it earned some points for because they did they did effectively work. I 
felt like uh, you know this is a little redundant, but I did feel like watching this on a on a laptop on speakers robbed me of what they were at least trying to do with this movie, which is they did. I know they did a lot of sound design. Sure, a lot of it was just creaks and 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 booms, but I do think they used those effectively for a super low budget movie. So, you know, it gets some points for that. Uh, C plus for directing. I think that it's reasonably effective considering the limitations that he has with, you know, camera movement and cast and directing, acting, you know, that kind of talent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, given the limitations, I think that there's, you know, some good choices make made from a directorial uh, standpoint, but this is a pretty flaccid movie um, when you think of it, and, and you know, yeah. dynamic filmmaking perspective. So I can't give it anything more than that. And I'll be even harsher on script. I think this is a D plus script. I think there's you know almost no art to the script here. Uh, it's a very plodding, mechanical escalation, dramatically speaking. Uh, it doesn't, you know, I guess to its credit, it feels naturalistic because there are none of the clues that would tell you that someone is calculating story turns based on dramatic impact. And the banality of real life is possibly a a benefit to the film uh, because it feels more real, but it's a, it's a a, a tedious process to get where this, the story ultimately goes. And the dialogue is brutal for the most part. It's very poor, awkward, stiff, and the characters drive me nuts. If we were to do a deep dive on this movie, I would just be tearing apart the character relationships and what the way that this thing escalates without any adults in the room, just, you know, realizing how stupid this fucking Micah guy is. And like, he almost seems he's suicidal or the stupidest person on earth. And I don't know which, but I don't like it either way. So I'll leave it there, but it's a, it's a really annoying script in my opinion. John, what you, you, you pointed out something that I think is really important, not just to this film, but it's an important aspect to a lot of the films in this genre, especially. And that is the emphasis on realism. And how do you, how do you break down the fourth wall? How do you make these things really feel like they're real and something that could happen because I think that's a a really key element in bringing a movie home with you and having that moment when you're getting ready to get into bed and going, holy shit, what if this happens? Or when your wife says, hey, check the fucking attic. There, you know, there, there, there might be something up there. Uh, like that's a, that's a sort of common thread throughout this. And that's really one of the things that this movie does excel at. I also gave the script to see, but just that notion of how do you take these fantastical stories and make them seem real? And it does have something to do with how banal the situations is. It does have something to do with the very commonplace suburban setting and a lot of that, uh, those sort of elements, what we're going to get into in the, 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 some of the future films and also what we, what we, we haven't really talked about with some of the past films is based on a true story. 
in the way that that serves to to fill in that same element of oh my god this is something real this is something that really happened this is something that could follow me home that could happen in my real life and the the found footage element and some of the execution does actually lend itself to that and i think is part of what makes it that effective but again script is still a c everything you said is true before we throw it to Rich, I want to point out that this is a fortuitous pairing because going up against Amityville Horror is the opposite side of of the coin where, yeah, when Amityville Horror came out, like this was based on true events. So in a way, it's a perfect companion piece to something that isn't true but looks true because of the means of storytelling a la found footage. So. Both of these movies benefit from the whiff of reality, even if that's all it is. So, uh, Rich, what's your grade for script? B minus, which feels generous in light of what you guys are saying, but I'm pretty much on the same page with both of you. Vic, I think you make a really good point. I just don't think that this movie does an especially great job of pulling off the realism that they're hoping to accomplish. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, Italian neorealism, where you're like, oh, it's just a guy working in a factory for two hours, except every once in a while, <laughs> one of the machines turns on by itself. Uh-huh. I'd watch that. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot of, like, uh, this movie certainly suffers from a bit of um, the classic found footage issue of, you know, once there, once, uh, what is it, Mika and... Is it Katie? She goes by Katie in the movie? Yeah, right? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Once they're really fighting, the camera feels very unmotivated and they jump through a bunch of hoops to explain why he's still filming every conversation. This is something that Paranormal 3 came along and did much better. This movie has way too many scenes where Katie looks at the camera and says, turn off the camera, and then he doesn't do it. I, I think if people, by the way, if 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 you you put that those two movies in front of people and and said we're not telling you which one is first, they would probably say that Paranormal Three was first in a vacuum. You know, like it's 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 definitely better. It is a clunky script. I feel like it is trying to ride the the highs and lows of the relationship as the the narrative journey of this ghost story. And I don't feel like it does that very successfully. This will come up again a little bit more in in acting as well, but it wasn't working for me. I do think there were a few bits that I liked. Uh, it was annoying when the it was annoying when the psychic shows up and basically just dumps all the exposition in our lap. But then I also really liked the second me, the medium who shows up at some point and basically just walks in the door and says like "fuck this, I'm out of here." Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like I've seen that much in our in our travels where the ghost presence is so strong that someone just walks in the door and just is just like I'm like no I'm not dealing with it. Goodbye. Yeah. It was a, so that was an interesting technique. And there are a few good lines, you know, that when they're explaining the demon, they talk about like, well, why can't we just like give it what it wants, you know, as though we're dealing with a ghost movie and then they present the idea that what it wants is Katie is just a cool way of cutting to the bone of, of why this evil is not going to go away. And I also just wanted to tag the line where Mika or Micah or whatever his name is, is doing the, you know, breaks out the, the Ouija board and Katie screams at him something to the effect of, 
you know, you promised me you weren't going to get a Ouija board. Instead, you go out and get the best looking Ouija board I've ever seen and put it in our living room. <laughs> I thought that was actually like a clever like way of talking around what I imagined was prop department showed up with this incredible looking Ouija board, which did look like, you know, something that you pulled out of like, you know, a witch's yard sale. Yeah. And, you know, just like rewrote the line in order to fit the prop that they had. So those little touches worked for me. So it had some personality and some character. I liked it, but it was also obnoxious. Well, that brings us to acting. I think that's a C plus for me. I think that Katie is solid. Uh, The guy playing Micah has a very difficult task because he's trying to do shit that nobody would expect to be motivated or be logical, but the plot requires him to do it and he has to sell it and he has to be absurdly suicidal might be a, a, a strong word, but in, in that vein, that's kind of the way that he needs to play it and he does okay. But generally speaking, it's pretty stiff across the board. It's not, it's there, there are no great performances by any means in this film. So I think C plus is pretty generous. Vic, what's your grade for acting? Uh, I gave it a C and I I would also just call it, I I remember feeling like the professor exposition character was, was particularly bad. He was. Yeah. And Katie and Katie's fine. And, and you're right. I mean, Micah does have to do a lot of heavy lifting, but it's none of it's, none of it's good. No, he's a he, he's a tool, and we we can never really understand where he's coming from, which would have elevated the whole thing if we could really, you know, get uh, why he's doing this and sort of understand it as as much as as its folly. So, uh, Rich, what's your grade for acting? I gave it a B minus. I'm pretty much on the same page with you guys. I guess this is maybe more of a script note, but I was annoyed that we had the cute snappy wife and the totally unlikable man child of a husband hmm. duo that was obnoxious years I, before judd apatow got incredibly rich doing the same thing <laughs> <laughs> i for some reason especially like the one performance that stood out to me was the scene early on where katie has slept walk and ends up on the swing outside the house I think sleepwalking has come up a few times in these movies and something about that felt did feel genuinely real and compelling. And I attribute that mostly to, to Katie in that scenario. But I thought that their acting there felt, I felt immersed in their little domestic drama at that point. That's a good point. Yeah. That was a good scene. I don't hate this movie by any means. I don't, I hope I'm not coming off that way. I gave it a B. I mean, it's a, it's a good movie. So, Rich, what's your um, other Judge's Choice category? This is not a surprise. We've already talked it through, but I gave it a fast-forward boo. Hmm. It really was the gift that this movie, I think, left for future filmmakers. And Vic? I'm giving a big bird foo because when Micah has the brilliant idea of spreading flour on the floor so that they can they can try and see if anyone's sneaking into their room, what they get are giant three-toed footprints which just always made me think of Big Bird. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> On another podcast, I'll tell you the, the most memorable nightmare of my life uh, when I was about five or six involved me thinking that I was hoping that Big Bird was coming to my birthday, but it was actually three thugs that were there to kill my whole family. 
And yeah, I was five, but we'll get into that on another podcast. <laughs> Jesus, John, I think you should get into that with your therapist, but yeah, absolutely, dude. I mean, this, <laughs> this, this nightmare is burned into my brain forever. Yeah. Um, it, there's even an animated sequence at the end of it, but we'll save it for another show. So my, uh, judge's choice is wire foo because that's clearly how they enacted the special effect. But uh, without giving any spoilers, there's some flying bodies at the at a certain point of this film, and it's the best of the 1.5 visual effects in the entire movie, and it is effective. So that's what I'm throwing out there for this. I believe, by the way, I believe that ending was reshot. I think that the original movie. I don't know if people know the 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 history of this, but this this movie floated around Hollywood on like DVDs that agents and, and production executives were just getting a hold of. And there was this kind of like whispery, like, have you seen paranormal activity? Like it's floating around and everybody's watched it. And the original cut had a different ending. I don't remember off the top of my head what it was when, when Blumhouse finally got paramount to kind of agree to release it. Cause the other thing that's there was significant a, there was about a reshoot. this, yeah. there was a reshoot of the ending. But the other thing that's significant about this is this is one of the first movies where because everyone was so trepidatious about it that Paramount didn't want to put a lot of marketing money into it. And it really used social media to try and drive interest in it to uh, uh, quite the effect. I mean, they 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 worked. They did more with less than almost any movie in history for whatever you think about the quality of the movie. Its impact is really hard to deny. I just think when you compare that to Blair Witch, though, where Blair Witch is even a better story, and it was 11 years before, like, uh, I don't know. I can't. I, well, I agree, but you, you, what you then have is a desert of, you know, 11 years or something before you get paranormal activity, and then paranormal activity's ripple effect is still being felt today, not just in the found footage genre, but in the way that it launched Blumhouse. Yes. I mean, that's the that's the weird thing about it. But it's just like, if you watched Blair Witch, the conclusions you would draw ultimately proved to be false about what it would do to the genre. And that just feels like people being stupid. Not that yeah. Par- Paranormal was better. You know, it just took... It took another test case to prove that it would work and that it was viable, but it's not that that movie is better in any way, shape, or form. I think I think this is a matter of timing. Mm-hmm. I think that you know there there's probably a lot that you could look into to try to explain it. Whether it's the social media, it could be that we had an entire decade where reality television was really born and thrived post yes. Blair Witch, leading up to this. Yes, but I think that audiences weren't ready. You remember when Blair Witch came out, or for those of you who do, everyone kept talking about how nauseous they were the entire time and they couldn't watch the movie. It was just too disorienting. And people were sort of afraid of just the experience of going to go see it. Whereas I think by the time Paranormal Activity showed up, you had a culture that was much more used to the idea of having ready access to a camera and to watching people on poorly shot video cameras going through the day-to-day, you know, mundanity of life with a few spicy bits thrown in. Yeah. Right time, right place. 
pushing a lot of the same buttons, but without, you know, some of, some of the drawbacks, it it makes sense, but it's just like, I can't, I'm not going to give it points that Blair Witch earned. So let's, let's talk about our next film. And this is very much similar in that it was a huge hit based on a true story. It had the value or the impact of, again, the whiff of reality to it. And we're talking about the Amityville Horror, which is a 1979 film directed by Stuart Rosenberg. It's based on a 1977 novel or nonfiction book, depending on how you look at it. Jay Anson wrote uh, The Amityville Horror, and it's essentially based on a true crime situation in New York State where a mass murder had occurred and there was a haunted house scenario afterwards where the family that moved into the house is bedeviled. And this movie definitely was considered a blueprint film that would influence films uh, like Poltergeist and almost any haunted house movie you can name. It was a modernization of the haunted house. Let's, let's put it that way. And it was a big hit though. It didn't get great reviews. And I will, I will go so far as to say before we make any official comments, this is a so bad. It's good B movie, but I will also say I love it. (laughs) All right. um, Let's kick off the grading with an overall quality. And yeah, even with all of that being said, like the sort of love, hate, good, bad inertia, it's a tug of war. I'm going to give it a B overall. Objectively, you could go lower and subjectively you could go higher. I wouldn't argue with you either way, but I'm going to give it a B overall because I think this is a batshit nuts, unique film that just fucking goes for it. And there are so many scenes in this movie that you you can almost forget that are just like, wow, that happened? I can't believe like they they did that. And then they just go on to the next thing. It's an incredibly eventful movie that pulls no punches. So... I'll leave it there for now. Uh, Vic, what's your overall quality for the Amityville Horror? John, before I get into my overall quality in the Amityville Horror, I just I just want to say... Oh, yeah. Uh, Whoa, what a refreshing sound that is. What are you drinking tonight, Vic? Nice. That is a Latitude 33 Honey Hips, mm. which is uh, a little more... a little more responsibly around 8% compared with the six-glass... Belgian quad I was drinking before this. I like to I like to start off strong and then taper off so that I, I I'm still intelligible when we get to the end. Although oh, holy shit, holy shit that I just uh, spray beer all over my touchscreen computer here. Let me just no no harm done. Clean that up. That's what you think. As long as you're not going to be a, a drooling mess, I think we'll be fine. Uh, I uh, have been drinking for this entire podcast. And this is this is like I don't think I've done this on the podcast. It's certainly one of my favorite beers of all time. But Dogfish had 90 minute Imperial IPA, which will knock you on your motherfucking ass. So 
that that probably will explain a lot in terms of my podcasting ability. Uh, Rich, what's your beverage of choice tonight? I am coming back with a return favorite from the last podcast. This is the Stone Fear Movie Lions double IPA. It just feels appropriate for this show. Indeed it does. All All right, right. Vic, take us away with Amityville Horror. On to the the overall quality of the Amityville Horror. And I'm this is another one that I'm that I'm second guessing because I'm I'm struggling with this one. I gave the overall quality of this movie a C. But I can be fucker. I can be swayed. I don't know. I it was there was a lot of stuff that I was really into through sort of the first half of it. And then in the second half, a lot of the things that I was into really just felt like they fell apart. I mean, I was really enjoying Rod Steiger's performance, and then I felt like it went way over the top. Uh, I was really enjoying I some of the just some of the the tone and the execution. I felt like they came back and hit things too hard. And oh, come on, Vic. you're thinking about it the wrong way, man. This is this is movie this movie is not about being good. This movie is about being what it is. <laughs> Vic, I'm gonna make it I'm gonna make it easy on you. It's like sure, I could see your C rating, but other than the shining, this is the only movie that had any nudity. <laughs> I can't Touché. argue with that. Touché. Yeah. That's hard that's hard to argue. And and let's be honest, I mean the shining nudity is a little it's a little weird. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I, like I said, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not welded into place on my, on my C grade. It's, there's, there are lots of things that I like about it. I don't know, Rich, I, you, you talk for a little bit. Let me, let me see, let me hear your guys' thoughts on it and see how my, uh, how my opinion shifts and moves. Uh, that's it. I had said the nudity thing. That's all the points that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, I know you appreciate this movie. Come on. I, I, so I have actually, I never saw this movie. I'm really glad I hadn't seen this movie before. I'm not quite sure how I managed to, to get through my childhood without it, but, but I did. This was a fun movie. I really liked it. Um, I gave it an overall quality of a B. Look, this is a B movie. It's like it is a solid. <laughs> it is a solid B movie. Um, the pacing is kind of slow and awkward. The scares are weird and and hidden. I do question whether or not this movie has much value to someone who is not somewhat familiar or like nostalgic for the time period, because I do think that it really, you know, is making that work for it. But the performances are are pretty indelible. I mean, Brolin is awesome in it. Oh yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that it was a fine tuned performance. I'm saying that he was an unhinged weirdo going through a bunch of very strange plot points, and I thought that he just kind of rode the wave the whole way, and I was on board. I love the 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 creature. <laughs> Well, uh, whatever it is that's that's in the house, I yeah. love the weird discoveries. There's a but there's a lot of strange lines. You know, this is a memeable movie. Uh, before that was a thing, right? I fucking love this movie, and I love this movie in the in the exact same way that I love 
Friday the 13th and Halloween sequels. I, I, I think that this movie is just over-the-top goodness. It's so random and ludicrous and laughable, but it's just consistently entertaining and it takes itself so seriously. It's it's not in on the joke. It's so earnest. It's so passionate. And that that just that's what sells it. You know, it's not trying to be campy, but it fucking is. It it's it's a ludicrous, ridiculous movie, but it thinks it's Citizen Kane. And I love that. I, I love that. And I think that this movie is a breath of fresh air in the entire subgenre. Uh, even though, like, yeah, it's been copied and it feels it feels old-fashioned in, in a lot of ways. I think if you just, like, if you pop the hood and you really look at it, there's nothing like this movie in the, in the subgenre or in cinema in general. And I would love to know stories <laughs> about this movie, how it came to did be. You say, did you say in cinema in general? Well, yeah. I, I mean, like, I think there's this. This is a unique film. It really right. is. It, it, like, love it or hate it. You can, you can say it's shit, but it's not. You know, this movie is not a grist of the mill. It's not uh, just another prefab, you know, Hollywood product. It's a bizarre, bizarre film. So. John, I love it. You're you're driving hard to the hoop on this movie. I am and I'm and I'm and I'm open to it. And I am so. I'm I'm gonna give my vote away. I am voting for Amityville Horror in this uh competition. Uh, spoiler alert. Jesus <laughs> yeah. John all right. I'm just saying, like, let's let's color this conversation from here, knowing that I'm voting for it. And well, I, since I, you since you called it unique in the history of cinema, I assume <laughs> that you're voting for it over Paranormal Activity. Yes. <laughs> Ironically, I'm giving it an overall quality of a B, which is the exact same grade that I gave to Paranormal Activity. But okay, so originality, uh, Rich, what's your originality grade? I I went with a B minus. I don't think I found the movie quite as gonzo as as you did. I I do think that it is quite strange, and there especially in certain scenes. But there's also this sense that this movie is like a mashup of every other movie in this competition yeah. that we've watched. I mean, it hits it hits just about everything, and I would love to actually take the time to go down the line and try to like cross hit all the cross reference points. The shotgun murders that kick the thing off, the thing that's based on the true crime, I thought was refreshingly human. Like there was less hocus pocus, at least at the very beginning of it. That certainly changes over the course of time. You know, there's no creepy kids, uh, really. The kids aren't even really characters, so that was unique. Hmm. But boy, when the when the kids started talking about their imaginary friend Jody, I was like, yeesh, I don't know if I can make it. But um, so yeah, I don't know the originality is exactly the, the strong suit here. Uh, yeah, I'd say bizarre to you more than more so than originality. I mean, I gave it a B as well, but for all of those reasons, um, I'm not going to give it an A. Uh, yeah, because it is recycling a lot of things. Even though I would argue that this is one of the first, you know, because we're not even to 1980 of a lot of these traditions. Uh, Vic, what's your originality grade? 
I gave it a C for originality. I'm not too far off from you guys. I do feel like there, it's so, there are so many elements of it that are so far out there and that move in so many different directions that I could be swayed on that. But I feel like the backstory of the house and the, 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 the history, the, the character dynamics, there's not a lot that's original here. The execution is what makes this movie. Fair enough. So what would you give it for Chill Factor, Vic? Chill Factor, I give it a B. There are some creepy scenes here. I think there is a scene where we see Jody's eyes, which at once looked really distinctly like Christmas lights or orange Halloween lights. (laughs) They were so obviously fake electric lights in the darkness. But I also got goosebumps when it happened. And there's a few other, I mean, there's a few other scenes that, that, that really stand out. And more broadly speaking, there is a sense in which the evil in this house radiates in a way that almost defies what we think of as the haunted house genre. People seem to be affected by it, even outside of it. And that was a really interesting element. You know what? See, there it is. That's it. I'm changing my originality to a B minus. Good. There it is. I just wrote it down. But so, yeah, so there, there are some, there are some, some elements here and, and I'm not even going to get to the acting. It's got Murray Hamilton and that always makes a movie scarier. So yeah. All right. I'm winning over Vic. All right. Uh, Rich, what's your grade for this? B minus for the chill factor. They definitely lost some points by having literal cat scares. But I'm with Vic. I loved the cheesy glowing eyes. That really stuck with me. The the medium chick screaming about the passage to hell yeah. that they find in the house. Much like the glowing eyes, this is a bit that is a little chilling, even though it's pretty silly. You laugh at it, and it's also effective at the same time, which is kind of cool. I do want to point out, and this kind of calls back to originality, it literally has the axe scene from The Shining. You know, there's the the dad chopping down the bathroom door with an axe, and the kids and the mom are inside. I don't even remember how it's connected to the to the primary plot. Some of the scares and, and the scenes it felt a little deli- derivative, even though I know you're saying that this movie did come out before... Some of those movies, I believe this did come out post-Shining. No, it did not. It came out before The Shining. 79. Wow. Maybe The Shining ripped this off. Maybe The Shining's not as good as you guys think it is. Oh, that's 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 what we're here for, Rich. That's a conversation. That's why we're doing this. That's a conversation to be had later. Maybe it's not as good as How Sue. We should go back. (laughs) We'll, we'll never we'll never find out. We're gonna have to redo that 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 yeah. matchup. <laughs> uh, but I want to spend another hour talking about how Sue. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, this one, so I have a little bit of a laundry list for this. So I'm sorry for reviewing it in this way, but it really just had a lot a lot of little details that stuck that stood, stuck with me. The stairs bleed at one point, which I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah. On the negative side, the the dad, you know, the, the dad gets possessed in this movie. It's most of the movie, so I'm not spoiling anything there. 
but it, it is a little annoying. This possession just kind of comes and goes as is convenient for the plot. But, you know, sometimes when it comes on and comes on strong, it's it's effective and you he feels pretty legitimately unhinged. The, the chills in this movie are are fun. They're not always super deep, but they are fun. I don't care if we advance this movie or not, but there is a deep certainty in my heart that we need to go through this movie scene by scene. So whether it's a bonus episode or, you know, just in the framework of our, our tournament, I, I want to sink my teeth into this movie because I think that it is so rich with weirdness. Is it really that scary? No, I'm giving it a B minus on chill factor because I think it's it's sort of laughable a lot of the time. But there is an intensity to it that I think is real. And I think that the way that one of my favorite things about this movie, to be honest, is the bedeviling of the four, the poor Rod Steiger priest character. I mean, this poor bastard, all he does is go into this house once and this fucking thing owns him for the rest of his life. And he is just like torn apart by it. And, you know, he's rendered a, a blind, pathetic, sad, like husk at the end of this movie. There's no redemption for him. The the family gets out, but like where we we leave, we leave him a, a catatonic mess, and so I, I I think there's just there's so much darkness in this silly movie that I think it works on both levels. I find it comical, but I also think it's a genuinely like nasty, disturbing, fucked up, no holds barred movie at the same time. So that's what I look for, and I love that. But I can't say it's genuinely scarier than a B minus, so that's that's where that is. So badass baddies, I'll keep the ball rolling. I'm going to give it a B because everything I just said. I think the stakes are are legitimately high. I think that people are really really suffering in this movie. It's not you know we're not oh I you pulled the sheets off my legs oh no. You know, people people are um, damaged and and tormented, yeah. right down to the babysitter in the closet whose fingernails are worn to the nub as she's in there for an hour or two hours, panicked in the darkness. It's- yeah, and what about the caterers who are out there trying to cash checks that bounce? <laughs> yes, suffering that poor takes, Suffering takes many forms, guys. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, the dialogue in this movie is so good. So, yeah, I'm giving it a B for that. How about you, Rich? I gave it a B minus. Uh, I have nothing I have nothing really bad to say about the antagonist. I think that you make an interesting point. Yes, the stakes in it feel real. I wasn't quite as, as invested in the priest's storyline as you were, but I'm, I'm interested to go back and, and view it with that eye. And Jody reminds me of Zool from Ghostbusters, which is a, a pleasant recollection. So, you know, I, I enjoyed it. So, I, I gave it a B and for I, like, I, I almost don't know what to add. Like, yeah, it's the 
the flies I thought were oh, an yeah. interesting an interesting element that sort of factors into the chill factor. It's weird because the flies weren't really scary, but that did that did add something. This is correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the only time that the house really speaks? Yeah, it does. It speaks. Yeah. Have we heard? Have we seen a haunted house movie where that where the house itself sort of seems to have a voice? You would think that every other movie has the house going get out, but no, this is the only one. Yeah, just it, there's it gotta just, be another one. I'm right, Ray. There's got to be one another one. I think it's just Rod Steiger. Like if Rod Steiger walks into your house, your house just goes get out. <laughs> So no, it's uh, and I mean the other thing that I will that I will throw in there, uh, particularly for this, is the house itself. That that visage that looks like eyes. Yes, it's. I mean, I, that is that lives longer than any other element of this movie. That house is yeah. something that is that is culturally significant that people can see that shot and go, Oh, that's the Amityville house. It's truly iconic. Yes. It's truly iconic. So that, that factors into the antagonist given that it's just a house. uh, It's pretty cool. Although that said their boathouse and their guest house. And they were like, when they were like, Oh man, it's $80,000. And he was like, it's worth at least 120. And I was like, fuck you guys. (laughs) I know, but I, I love that he had that calculation already, you know, without yeah. Zillow or anything else. Like, I respected him more that back in 1979, he knew that. I thought I, – I had this note in – under script and direction, but I thought that the entire – that first, you know, reel or whatever felt like the most realistic real estate house shopping scene I've ever watched. <laughs> Oh, with the with the realtor and the whole thing. Yeah, I thought the realtor was fantastic. I was, yeah. I was this woman must have spent time around realtors to to character study them. Oh yeah, she was so convincing. God, I love this fucking movie. Okay, so quality of kills, uh, I gave it a B minus. Obviously, we don't have many kills. Spoiler alert! But the ones that we get in the sort of flashbacks. Or, you know, I can definitely quibble. They're sort of ridiculous. But they're also really fucking disturbing because you're talking about kids and, you know, a wife and a, and a father being murdered in their sleep. So it's not it's not without impact. So B- minus for me. Vic, what's your quality of kills rating? I went C. We're talking about the same kills here. And I... Yes, like the, the the sort of specificity of what was actually going on was fine, but it was fine. It was alarming and disturbing, but the actual execution I found underwhelming. Yeah, that's fair. So I gave it a B minus. You gave it a C plus. How about you, Reg? Yeah, I gave a B minus. They're not particularly well executed. Hey, that's not bad. Well, it's not great, but it's not bad. <laughs> All right. So directing, Rich, what's your grade for directing? I gave a B plus. I thought that this movie was, I don't know, it sounds ridiculous, but I actually thought this movie was pretty well directed. The camera moves really fluidly from room to room. There are definitely some 
weird things going on. There is a very oddly shot sex scene that happens early on that borders on artsy, but in a way reminiscent of like the, the sex scene from Don't Look Now, but without right. the actual artistry but there's certainly some there's some aspiration in the way that this movie is put together and it makes it stand out and feel unique when you know this is definitely a, a subgenre where feeling generic is the kiss of death and so it it works there honestly <laughs> points for partial nudity this is the a very chaste subgenre and it gave this movie, you know, some attitude and, and some flair. I wasn't crazy about the red house effect that you get where the, the camera sometimes is pointed at the house. And I'm not even sure what it's trying to convey, but the, the camera sort of dyes the entire imagery in red. You mean the uh, sort of interstitial effect, like when they say what day we're on and whatnot? Yes, but sometimes you just pull away from the house after something evil happens and suddenly the house has that effect applied to it. Again, this is something where I'd probably have to go back and look at it again to figure out what they were trying to do, but it wasn't clicking with me there. But I thought this was a pretty capably uh, made movie. Vic? I gave the directing a B, and I was so – when I was watching, the directing credit came up, and I went, Stuart Rosenberg? Why do I know that name? Oh, yeah. Stuart Rosenberg directed literally one of my favorite films of all time, which is Cool Hand Luke. And the fact that Stuart Rosenberg directed Cool Hand Luke and the Amityville Horror, it, my brain can't contain those two facts at the same time. But I think Rich is right. It's it is it is boldly directed. In particular, the 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 red filter over the over the house, which actually reminds me now of the night vision stuff from our point a little bit in terms of just throwing in a camera effect because we need a camera effect here. Jumps out. But the other one is there are some close ups of flies that are somewhere between just weird and actually alarming that the uh, yeah. i don't know it's it's such a it's such a weird choice but it does sort of fit tonally with where the with what the movie's doing and where it's going and there's a like i said there's a lot of bold choices in this and and if as i assume we're going to talk about it more i look forward to uh, illuminating that a little more oh i hope we talk about it more I was giving it a B minus, but honestly, I think that yeah, that's that's wrong. It's a, at least a B because yeah, it, there are so many striking compositions in this movie, and I fucking love the fly stuff. I'm giving away my judge's choice here, but uh, yeah, I think that it's weirdly powerful in various moments, and you have to give you know a lot of credit for the director realizing that impact. Obviously part of it is script and everything else, but um, the, 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 the filmmaking here, you know, it can be very rough and lacking subtlety, but it packs a, a punch. It's powerful. So yeah, it's good. So I, I up my grade to a B and let's segue to script. 
Rich, what's your script grade? I went with a B on this. I actually feel like that might be a, a tiny bit high. I felt from the very beginning when they put the text on screen summarizing what had happened to the family beforehand that it felt like lazy exposition that made me feel like we weren't exactly the most capable hands in the world as far as storytelling goes. And I'd see that that carries through. I, I don't, I don't know. I actually, actually, the more we talk about this movie, the more I don't even know what to think about the script because a lot of the absurdity comes from the script, but I I'm with you that they weren't, it wasn't intentional. The thing that, that catches with you and sticks in your mind, I don't feel like were necessarily intentional things. Yeah. Those came from the execution. And so I think the script is maybe one of the weaker elements of the movie. Yeah. So yeah. I'd almost say that's probably more worthy of a, of a B minus. There's also a lot of, maybe this is a directing issue, but there's a lot of strange things going on where, you know, like Josh Brolin gets up in the middle of the night and finds that like one of the kids is missing out of their bedroom and goes on like a search throughout the house, turns off some lights and just goes back to bed. Yeah. And end of discussion. Like there's no concern over where, where the, where the kids go. There's also weird details. Like, like what's going on with, with Margot Kidder's uh, kids in this movie. Like I did the math on this. She was about 30 years old her old based on her oldest kid she would have had to have her first kid when she was 12 <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so oh. like there's just there's a lot of like of not very well thought through details on this but i mean the whole movie it it, it sticks together ultimately so i can't bitch about it too much again i'm i'm in an awkward position because there are so many just absurdly inexcusable things. And I think you touched on, on some of them, but one of the reasons I can't wait to do this movie in more detail on the podcast is that like things happen and it makes like, if you just follow point A to point B to point C, it's absolutely ludicrous and nothing makes sense. And there's no three line and things are dropped. And suddenly, you know, we go somewhere that makes no sense. So as much as, again, I am lobbying for this movie guys. I fucking love this movie, but I have to give it a C plus for script because it's, it's, it's not objectively good um, from that perspective. So Vic, what's your script grade? I gave it a B minus. I think there's an operatic quality to the Rod Steiger priest storyline and yeah. that whole that whole B story. I, I sort of liked how all of that played out. And I can I just say point 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 out really quickly, Vic, that his uh buddy, you know, the the guy that went to Vietnam who's his sort of uh acolyte, I love yeah. that character. I mean that character hits it out of the park. Both from a writing and an acting perspective, that guy is just so complex, and we don't really get a a, a read on him. And like, you just—he's a really, really valuable part of this movie, and he doesn't like—he doesn't fit any kind of stereotype. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to say that that guy's awesome, and both from a scripting and an acting perspective. I will, John, I agree with that. And I found the fact that they worked in the fact that he was a Vietnam veteran and given the time period that this was taking place in and, and, and 
all those sorts of elements, like you almost wish that that guy had had a bigger part or that had been more focused on him or something. Yeah. Cause I agree. I agree. That is, that is a really interesting part of this. I will also say that the, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to put this delicately given our, our circumstances, even as a newly minted dog owner, I find some decisions that that James Brolin's character makes in the third act unconscionable. And <laughs> but I just, love that. I love no, that so much. No, it's, be, it's <laughs> beyond the pale. It's beyond the pale. It was. It's. It. It almost ruins the movie. So yeah, B, B minus. Rock with that. Yeah. 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 I, I have a script note that um, is I made the point here in my in my notes, but the the, the details are lost in the in the beer haze. Hmm. Maybe you guys can illuminate. I thought that there was something interesting in that the evil of this house doesn't seem to want the family to leave, and I thought that that was a unique element of the antagonist here. Can anyone interpret what I'm talking about? I wish I could. It's very murky what this evil wants. Vic, go ahead and weigh in if you think you have it figured out. But again, that's part of the charm of the movie to me is that this movie throws out a thousand backstory theories about what could be going on with the land and and whatnot. But we never get a coherent view of what the evil actually wants beyond this sort of general sense of, you know, you can say that uh, James Brolin killing everyone else in the family, you know, would be, would be the most obvious thing uh, that it would want. Uh, Vic, what's your read on this? Well, that, that really feeds into what I feel like is a general theme of haunted house movies Yeah, that, you know, the conjuring, the, the ghost wants, the mother to kill her children and you know they, they these ghosts they they either want some sort of justification they they want some sort of justice they want to feel that their death has somehow been rectified or if you're going in the more general evil demon scenario like paranormal activity they just want suffering they yeah. want fear they want pain they want those things this house i think falls into the latter categories Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, so it didn't that that actually doesn't strike me as a as a particularly original element of this. No, but I mean at the same time, it's not just like get out of our space. You know, that's not the that's not the impetus. Well, that's well, except that the house actually says get, get out. out. Well, but it was I mean, talking to the priest. Point, it was yeah, talking to the priest. the priest. Yeah, yeah. That's true, but that is—I mean—that that is sort of interesting. This is this is the only movie we've encountered thus far, as far as any of us can remember, through our beer haze, mm-hmm. in which the house actually speaks, and yet it seems to be the one about which we know the least of the antagonist. There's a good Chris Rock um, routine. I I can't wait to hear where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> No, he does a haunted house routine about get out and stuff, and I'm, I'm not going to actually do the routine, but like he, he he taps into directly the idea of the house saying get out, 
it's like 15 comedy specials ago, but all right, let's move on to acting. I give it a B. I think that that's actually maybe a little harsh. I'm, I'm downgrading for Margot Kidder is a bit broad and the buddy, um, the guy, James Brolin's friend is a little, hmm, you know, not the best. But I, I think that overall, I love James Brolin in this. So, like, he, he is such a tormented dude. And he sells some really purple prose. He sells some dialogue that is hard to uh, pull off. And so I, I think there's a degree of commitment, even from Margot, that that is great, and I love Rod Steiger, Steiger in this movie. I think Rod Steiger is such a sad, tormented guy, but he fucking he. I mean, he. It doesn't seem like he's going through the motions. I love his performance. If anything, I should give this. You know, fuck it. I'm giving it a B plus for acting. Yeah. So, all right, uh, Rich, what's your acting score? I went with a B plus as yeah. well. I'm interested to hear what Vic has to say, but I thought James Brolin was a badass in this movie. Yeah. And he he definitely had some scripting issues, but I felt like he was giving it his all in every scene. I know that I, I followed up with a, a text to you guys of the the scene where, he's, where he screams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm uh, coming I'm apart! Coming. Like, he just, like, he was, he had his foot on the gas throughout the entire movie, and and then yet there are scenes where pitch black shit is coming out of all the toilets in his house, yeah. and he just kind of stares at it and walks away with a shrug. Um, <laughs> he, he seems to have his character figured out. I'm not sure I do, but I felt the commitment from him. And yeah, okay, like I guess Margot Kidder was like a little general, but I thought she was like fun and personable. Um, you know, she was hot in this, like. Her kids are non-existent characters, which I thought was very, very strange. Um, they disappear for about 40 minutes by my count. It's, yeah. yeah. It's super weird. Like, I honestly spent the first act of the movie not uh, not understanding that they were her kids. Because they're just – they're kept at a distance. They're Like, they're literally, like, in a, a yard away from them. And they're talking about them as though they're neighbor kids. But anyways, I'm sorry. That's not that's not an acting note. It, but it's strange. Anyways, I like I I really enjoyed watching the couple of this movie. So B plus for me. They had a great chemistry too. I, I enjoyed their sort of alone time. The two of them. All right, Vic. What's your what's your acting grade? I give the acting a B. I think it would have gotten a B plus, except Rod Steiger, uh, at, at, in a particular scene in the third act, really just. I don't know. He goes way, way, way over the top. You like mean it was, in the in the church? In the I church, not, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I did not like that scene. I'll be I honest. Did, I, like that's yeah. where the character lost me. How exactly? How much? How much would you pay to see Nicolas Cage give that performance? Like that was what it felt like. Was Rod Steiger was like, I'm going to act in this scene. He was good. Again, but, I really – I was taking – John, just just wait. Just hold it. God damn you. Just hold it. God damn you. Zip it. 
I really, I was really taken with him through the, the really sort of the first half of the movie. There were a few too many shots of him looking forlornly at a ringing phone. And the, the I, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of actors being called upon to gag and choke and suffocate. And I, I sort of thought people were having heart attacks over and over again. Yeah. But then yeah. they sort of turned out to be fine. The the nun the nun vomiting is maybe the best sound effect I've ever heard oh, in yeah. a movie oh, yeah. ever. Oh yeah. I really felt like Brolin was just playing sort of an angry drunk for most of it. Now he's not he's not actually an angry drunk, but the the performance felt like Ah oh, shit! Dad's been drinking. Like let's all let's all give him a little bit of room. I found Margot Kidder to be absolutely charming. I was totally taken with her in this. I thought she was terrific. I thought she was much better than Brolin. I mean, there's a there's a lot of acting in this, and there's a lot of capital A acting in this. Yeah, and it's 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 good. The perform the performances are good. That the script is over the top. Some of the acting is over the top. Some of it is way over the top. Yeah, I was less taken with Brolin than you guys, and that might have something to do with me not wanting to see myself in him, which, again, I increasingly am because of my... What? Because you're an angry, drunk dad? Because I'm an angry, drunk dad with a a beard and long hair. I am not always cold, although I do have an impressive collection of firewood. Jesus Christ. I did love the bit. Was it, isn't this the movie that has the bit where, like, the guy's talking to him and he's chopping the wood? And then yes. Then he, like, he, like, turns and, like, and, and, like, hammer throws the axe. Yes, he does. Like, like Jason Voorhees in the, in the Friday the 13th remake. Oh, God. I just, I love this movie, again, for the exact same reasons that I love those movies. Um, this movie pushes my buttons. It just is such a fun cheesy, uh, nostalgic, crazy, batshit experience that I I love, like, pointing to when we're not doing it on this podcast, but, like, nothing makes sense. Like, almost no connective tissue links scenes in this movie. And you can hate that. You can, like, see that as a negative. I actually find it hilarious and charming. So, again, I... This movie just it it won me over, um, and that's where um, I stand. So my um, judge's choice for this is Fly Fu, because the the scenes, yes, the ultra extreme close ups of the fly heads, and just the the impact of that room full of flies, it just works. Like you know, you feel the sickening effect of like the 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 flies are building up on the window and you can't get out and the heat and the temperature and you're you're sweating and you're getting sick to your stomach and they, they just they're buzzing all over your face and it's it's just it's great i i think that that stuff totally works in this movie and and Brolin gets it and obviously Rod Steiger gets it big time uh, I just think that that's um, one of my favorite things in the whole movie. So that's what I will highlight there. So, Vic, what's your judge's choice? This is going to be weirdly specific, but my my judge's choice category, uh, uh, grade is for 
guy explaining microfiche foo. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> yes. I thought that guy was awesome. Like, he was weirdly committed to it. And you he could was. tell that he he sort of over-explained it and should have left, like, 20, 20 <laughs> seconds into the scene. Now, Vic- he hung around. He hung around for another minute to, to make sure that Margaret Kidder understood how to work the microfiche machine. Vic, I loved it. Did you get the feeling that you'd seen that guy in like a bunch of other movies? Because I did. I did, and I think I looked him up, but mm-hmm. I don't. Not, none of what none of what he did. There was no cool hand Luke on his resume. Yeah. So it, none of it none of it leapt out at me the way that uh, the other but that other guy filmographies do. That guy felt like cast way above the weight class of this character. Like I felt like, Oh yeah, that guy, you know, was sort of my, my impression of that. All right, Rich, how about you? I have a tie, but they're, they're both very slight mentions. Uh, one of them is hair foo. I know that this is just standard for the time period, but good God, man, everyone in this movie just has a shag of hair that looks like it's about to crawl away and form a life of its own. <laughs> it's it's oppressive, and it actually it feeds a little bit into that sweaty, gross uh, terror that you're talking about with the flies. Um, <laughs> my hat is off to the people for living with these things, and they're all they're all they're all permed too. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was something about the time period, but uh, my my runner up that is special. Um, is a special is a special shout out K for Corbell. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Corbell products are in the background of like every third shot of this movie. The boxes, there's the moving boxes, boxes. Yeah, there's like there's brandy and champagne. I don't know if it was just like a prop master who got a deal, or if this is product placement. If it's product placement, then Corbell money well spent because oh, yeah. that message is still speaking to us. Oh yeah, it's inescapable. Like you can't help but look at the boxes that when they move in, and they have a lot of booze boxes. I noticed that. Like I think there's Jack Daniels. There's a there's a couple of different brands represented. Angry uh, drunk dad. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so guys, this is the first. Like I'm getting emotional here. We got to vote on this. You know my vote. It's Amityville Horror. Who's gonna break my heart? So, uh, Vic, why don't you go next? Paranormal I'm, or Amityville? I am not going to break your heart, John. I don't want to talk about paranormal activity anymore. Yes! Uh, I'm going to vote for Amityville Horror. Woo! All right, Rich, uh, for the record, what, what would you have voted for? Yeah, I have your guys back. I would, on the personal scale of movies, I would much rather watch Amityville Horror and continue talking about it than have to sit through paranormal activity again oh that makes me happy guys yeah that makes me happy because yeah i mean what what is there to say about that film so that that's the value of this process so let's move on and uh that was a big win for everyone all right well that's our show for tonight tune in next time for the thrilling conclusion of this three-part episode for now adios